Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Kansas City native Chris Porter caught his first big break just months after moving to Los Angeles with a gig competing on NBC's Last Comic Standing. He finished third that season. Since then, Porter has recorded two comedy albums, a half-hour special for Comedy Central, and an hour available on Netflix. His new hour, A Man from Kansas, is out now from Comedy Dynamics. So let's get to it! Well, Chris Porter, congratulations on the new special. Thank you. A Man from Kansas, available everywhere. Everywhere but Netflix. Everywhere but Netflix. Everywhere but Netflix. (laughs) I think that's what I'm going to call the next one. (laughs) And then people will – because it's like that's the number one question. Well, so I guess the number one question then is what goes into deciding that that's the play in 2019? Uh, Netflix makes that call. I think they're kind of the go-to – you know, they're the gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. So it's like I think everyone takes their special to them and is like, oh. Well, Ron Funches the other – a few weeks ago was saying that he went the other way because he didn't like what Netflix was telling him. Uh, like yeah. to, 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 to to bend the knee oh, for sure. to Netflix that he would have had to do things that he didn't want to do. So he's like, no, go to Comedy Central. I don't Ron's – yeah, well, Ron's a lot more successful than I am. <laughs> so he can make those calls. Like he has other mm-hmm. – like he's an actor and stuff, so like he can make those calls. I don't – I really feel like uh, I'm at a place where I just needed – I'm lucky that it went anywhere or that anyone even made it. Okay. So especially in today's landscape where it's uh, – How do you think it's, the landscape has changed since your previous hour? Um, well, when, I, when Ugly and Angry came out, like Netflix was the – Almost like a catch-all. Mm-hmm. Like you, it, it felt like you went to the Comedy Central's and the Showtimes first, and then if they weren't interested, then you took it to Netflix, and then they would be like, "Yeah." And so, at least that's how it felt. Right. I don't know if that's how it was, but in thirteen fourteen, that definitely seemed like the way it was. Well, they didn't have a they didn't have a dedicated strategy and team for comedy back then, for sure. And so, like when I got on there, it was great, and you know. Uh, did you did you experience that that uh, initial Netflix effect where the turnout of the shows was bigger and more loyal? It was definitely more loyal. Mm-hmm. It took a while to get bigger. Okay, uh, but it's definitely done that for sure. Um, uh, but yeah, like within two weeks, I had people showing up to shows, being like, "We saw your special on Netflix, and you're still doing half of it." And, <laughs> and, I, you, and you cut your hair. And you cut. Yeah, it was a lot of things. So they were just like, "I'm very confused right now." <laughs> where's uh, all the curls? Where's all? I think I still had them when it came out, and I cut or, them. Short well, the headshot still had them, probably. Probably, it's, it's probably yeah. the more the more pressing concern is people didn't recognize you from the headshots, and still don't. Like I still. You know, it's weird. People don't know that there's comedy clubs in their towns or whatever. So it takes them like, I mean, probably once a week, if not twice, people are like, I've never been to a comedy show before. Yeah. And I didn't even know this was here. And my friend told me about it. You know, it's like, so it's, 
It's weird. So, uh, but yeah, like within two weeks, people were showing up. Like, okay. oh yeah, we saw your special on Netflix. We thought we'd come out and check you out. And, so. and then in the six years since then, it's now, now the know, marketplace is flooded. So yeah, it's a lot tougher to to even get a special scene. That and also it's like when I in thirteen Dave Chappelle and Seinfeld wouldn't have touched Netflix with a ten foot pole. Right. And now you know now they're like yes please. <laughs> take it take everything and give me 20 million a piece <laughs> great so it's like like i didn't i honestly didn't expect it to get picked up by netflix mm-hmm. i mean not just because of the chappelles and the seinfelds but also they they're definitely going for a more diverse audience which i get like i understand that middle-aged white guys we had our time and it was a long time. It was a long time. So, like, I can't be upset about it. And so, centuries of time. Literally, <laughs> it's literally eras. Epics. Yeah. So, it's like, you know, I just, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a bummer, but it's also like, I understand it. And I think it's, and it's a good thing at the end of the day. But, uh, yeah, the, they're definitely looking for people that uh, don't look like me. And that's fine. Well, would you say that? Would you say that comedy is your area of expertise? You, you talk about in the special that that everybody in the room or 98% of the people in a room have something that they're an expert in. Yeah. Would comedy be your thing? or Probably. You... At least the stand-up part of mm-hmm. it. Like I can definitely wax philosophic on – I wasn't sure if you had some other no. area that – No, I mean your... I play guitar and, and I, I'm a huge music buff but mm-hmm. like – you know, I couldn't tell you the difference between an A minor and an A minor diminished. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I didn't even know those were things. Yeah, see, like, uh, but when I thought minor was diminished enough. I didn't right? know that that was <laughs> it might something be. more diminishing. Uh, so I have a lot to learn. But with stand up, it's like, yeah, I can definitely help. You know, I can talk about that for hours and with and feel very confident and educated about it for sure. When you were growing up in Kansas City. What was the scene like there? What It was cool. It was very This was the late 90s early aughts. Late 90s. I started in June of 98. Okay. So 9899 was very much we had a cool scene in in Kansas City. It was run by Emery Emery. And uh they had he, he two was, clubs? What's that? They had two clubs? They had well at this time they only had the one. They Stanford. had the Westport Club which Stanford's and Westport which was Still one of the greatest clubs mm-hmm. I've ever played. Long gone. I mean, it was the old school, low ceiling, shallow, long. Yeah, I remember hearing comedians talk about that. And it was just, it was a rock show. And it was it was fun. And it was also this, like, den of debauchery where you could get, you know, you could walk downstairs and pretty much get any drug you needed. And no. there were strippers hanging out. And, yeah, it was. Was it near a strip club? No, but the owner was way into strippers oh. and spent as much time at strip clubs as he did at his own okay. club. And so they'd all come over and hang out and yeah. buy drugs and, and you know. The Tempe Improv was like that when I was living there. Okay. Yeah. So it was just like – it was a, and, and the thing about Stanford's was the comedy club was upstairs and then mm. there was a full bar and restaurant downstairs. So everyone just hung out. And yeah, I mean, you go to the doorman and get Xanax, and you go to the go to the kitchen and weed. And I remember for a good solid year, I would be able to just hand my coat to the bartender with sixty bucks in it, and when I picked up my coat at the end of the night, there was an eighth of a kind boat in there. Okay. 
Like it was just, it was that kind of but factory. But what was the comedy scene like? The, oh yeah, sorry, we didn't even get into that. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was very, it was very um, as as a supportive. new like as an open micer. As an We'd up-and-comer. all show up like an hour and a half before the show, and people would go up on stage and try their bits, and we'd give them notes and mm-hmm. you know give them taglines. You lines. had open mics before the regular show. Uh, no, this was this was just on Mondays was open mic mm-hmm. and okay. kind of became. For at least eight months, kind of became like a thing where like people would come out. We had good crowds, and the the crowds knew the comics. Like I remember a comic going up, a young comic, and doing one of my lines. Like it was his bit, but he stole my line. Uh huh. And literally, as soon as he said it, half the audience turned around and looked at me because <laughs> they knew because they knew it was mine. Yeah. And so. It was a very cool scene where we all were very supportive and like we tried to make it the best show possible. And then there, there was a table in the back that like all the cool kids sat at, and it was like me and a couple other people. And we would literally just sit back there and make fun of everybody. I was just gonna say, who were the other cool comedians? Uh, Justin City? Leon, Tim Gaither, uh, this cat DC Young, and then every once in a while this dude Brian Burgess, who was like he ran the club. He was the one of the funniest comics I've ever seen, but also one of the uh, those stories of like don't do what he did, and like he he went out to L.A. was made a big splash, showed up to CBS meetings on cocaine, (laughs) you know, obvious, and uh, you know came back and ran the club and was very much like hey don't don't go to CBS meetings on cocaine and. Uh, but he was a brilliant comedian, and he would come back there and just kind of – he was like our uncle. He would just like make us all feel stupid, but he was really – yeah, but it was a great scene, and I, and I, I but, look back on it fondly. But there was no interactions between uh, you guys and the likes of um, – I'm thinking of these – these comedians who came out of the woodwork as Kansas City people when the Royals came back a couple a few years ago, like, oh, okay. like Paul Rudd and um, Rob Riggle. Yeah, but those dudes and, never uh, did stand up. They're always in sketch and improv and that stuff. And I think a lot of the. <clears throat> by the they time, did, was there any of that in Kansas City? There was, but the stand up scene and the improv scene kind of didn't like each other, mm-hmm. mainly because we thought very stupidly that one could do the, what the other one did. Mm. And the improv people would come over and try to do stand-up and immediately find out how hard it is. And then stand-up people would go over and try improv and find out how hard, how hard that is. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's like a young thing, a young comic thing where you have where you uh, have like a, a fight with improv people. But I, as you get older, you're just like, no, you're I, great. I wonder if that's the same now as it was – 20 years ago though because 20 years ago you could have these these thoughts about comedy without having the internet tell you otherwise <laughs> yeah that's for sure because uh, I think about those times in the late 90s and I was doing open mics in Seattle back then and I didn't know anything yeah outside of who came through the comedy underground oh okay. that was like the limit that was like and what <laughs> I saw on TV that was like the limit of my knowledge of comedy so I would just ask every headliner who came through for all of their knowledge. Yeah. I just like but to hang out. I mean, I would always go to the shows and hang out. Yeah. I, I, uh, and I guess I'd probably uh, pick their brains a little bit. But I was just more into this. I just liked hanging out. Like it was such a, you know, for a 20-year-old kid to be hanging out at these bars and – you know, being in a place where you weren't supposed to be, really, but you got away with it because of what you did. Right. 
Like that whole scene was just amazing to me. Like being able to party and 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 also once you made a name for yourself, even as a local open micer, like you started getting into other bars because they would come to the shows and stuff. And no, yeah, you were you, you were like a micro celebrity for sure. And and it was like you know, so I you know that was one of the good things about starting at nineteen was like I was just so enamored with the scene that I like I didn't even think about bugging the headliner for dates or anything I was who was who was the first headliner though who did take a chance on you or the first see head- something in you and go the, okay the first headliner that like gave me his number was mitch mulaney okay and i think he immediately regretted that because i because <laughs> at 19 i just thought we were friends and so i just call him to like say what's up you know and he'd be like what's up what I'm like no we don't talk on the phone and uh so and then Doug Stanhope was real good with me uh, because we did a gig in Miami and he still talks about it. Like I gave him like the roughest week of his life. <laughs> uh, he had never been to Miami and, you know, Doug's very. Yes. One way. And so, <laughs> you know, I remember I showed up early and did. I don't even know if he knows this part, but uh, I'd shown up early on accident because my manager was an idiot. And it was like, yeah, it shows her Tuesday through Sunday. I go, okay. So I show up on Tuesday, and the manager's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I'm here for the week. He goes, well, we have Def Jam Tuesday, Wednesday. He was like, you can stay at the condo. You can come here and eat. Uh-huh. He's like, you can go up if you want to. <laughs> and I'm like a 22-year-old kid, white kid from uh-huh. Kansas, listens to rap me. I'm like, no, let's do it. I'm in. <laughs> And did like went up and did well. Like mm-hmm. I used to do this thing where I took off my shirt and did an impression of a greyhound because I was super skinny. You could see my ribs. Well, you're a high energy, a lot more higher energy when yeah. you're younger. Yeah, absolutely. So I, and, you know, and I would go up in front of these just rooms of urban acts, mm-hmm. and I would be the token white guy and I'd walk them on stage like just crazy. You guys want to get naked? And they're like, "What?" I take <laughs> off my shirt, and they'd be like, "So anyway, we had a good show." And I'm like, "Hey, I'm here all next." This whole weekend, so come by tomorrow. <laughs> and so, like thirty of these the people showed up from the Def Jam show. Poor Doug Stanhope loved me, and then Doug gets on there and just, and I'm in the back dying, like crying. He's the most brilliant comic I've ever seen. He's one he's, of a kind. And there's eight people in the audience that agree with me. <laughs> the other forty are livid. They're walking out, and as they're walking out, they're looking at me and telling me I should be up there. And I'm like. You guys are idiots. Like, this guy's fucking amazing. He's telling you the truth. So he walks off. So now I'm <laughs> He's at telling the, you all of life's secrets. So I leave because mm-hmm. I just go into the bar and kind of hang out because it's awkward. And then Doug comes off stage. I'm like – and in my head, I'm just like, this guy is the most brilliant comic I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And he's going to hate me. And it's has nothing – and it's not my fault. I just did my job. And he just walked off. He's a great set man. Couldn't have been nicer. He was like, I'm just too old to develop a following. <laughs> and uh, and and from that moment on, was always very helpful and very kind and gracious to me. So, so uh, yeah. So he was one of the first people to kind okay. of. Okay. That's, a, that's, that's and, a good one. Yeah. And then Hedberg, I that's... opened for him a couple of times. And he was the first guy, like. He gave me his number and like I would call him and he would call me back and we would talk for 15 minutes on the phone. And he would like remember my friends. He was the nicest guy. He was the nice like he'd just be like, hey man, how's Sleepy doing? I'm like, well, he's fine, still selling shit weed. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he was 
him and Stanhope were definitely uh, guys that were, were super cool. Yeah, whereas Mitch is gone and Stanhope's like the Keith Richards. He just keeps he just keeps going. He keeps going. Although to but be Hedley fair, he has gone. lost a lot of weight recently, which I think is good. <laughs> I'm hoping it's good. I'm just hoping it's not AIDS or cancer. We're not starting any room. No, I'm not. So I'm just saying, let's hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when Carlos lost all his weight. Oh yeah, he showed up. Well, that's because he lost the material. <laughs> I showed up. I walked off stage in Seattle at mm-hmm. the uh, parlor. Okay, and he was standing off the side of the stage. Didn't that place just close? The one downtown did. Okay, but that like it opened for like a hot minute, and then they realized they couldn't. Like that parlor in Bellevue just like prints money. Just like well, yeah, uh, that's the wealthy suburbs of so. where it is, yeah. And they try to put it downtown, and it they actually had to earn money. And I think they're okay. just like, now we're done. So you saw Carlos so there. Carlos Plunk off stage, and I just remember I looked at him, and I was still in comic mode. I go, "Did you get AIDS?" <laughs> and he just and you know you can say that to comics, right. like you can't say that to your friend. I, I had uh, I had Lavelle Crawford in here post since he's lost the. Oh, did he yeah. lose a weight? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Good for Lavelle. Yeah. Because that dude. Although although it, it creates a tricky situation for him because he lost it after being on Breaking Bad. And then his role gets reintroduced on Better Call Saul. But now he looks different. So you got to have to oh. account for. So now, now you have to write it into the storyline. Yeah. <laughs> why he lost 200 pounds. <laughs> and what they say in the show. I forget. Oh, you forget. <laughs> I'll have to go back and watch no spoilers. No spoilers. No spoilers. That was one show, uh, Breaking Bad. I was up for. I made it to producers for the Jamie Paul part. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, so I was. A, so I never watched it. Uh-huh. Not because of that. Mainly because uh, I'd watched. I just finished The Wire, uh-huh. and that was the first show that ever hurt me. <laughs> like when you know when the show would end, you'd just be like, "What." No, I gotta wait another week. Son of okay. a bitch. So I that way, yeah. uh, when Breaking Bad started, and they're like, "Oh, this is like The Wire," I'm like, "I'm done. I can't do it anymore." <laughs> I'm like, I'm t- "I got too much shit to do. I'm still getting over The Wire," and I never, you can, you I never binge got it into- now. What's that? You could always I could watch binge it, now. it now, but now I got Ozark. Oh, yeah. And so, uh, okay. But yeah, and but I'm really glad because originally that that dude was supposed to die after two episodes. And then the people love Jamie so much that they kept it going yeah. forever. So it's ob- it's obviously a great thing that cha- I don't have any regrets right. about that. So you get these you get these great icons of comedy giving you notes and giving you phone numbers and taking you on the road with them, Stanhope Hedberg. And then you kind of even though you didn't get Breaking Bad, you kind of had a Hollywood success story just in the fact that you go to LA and immediately are on primetime Network television. Yeah, I got real lucky. With Last Comic Standing. Yeah. It what was... was the actual time frame for that? So I moved to L.A. in August mm-hmm. of 05. I moved out the weekend of Katrina. And I remember that because it had already hit the refineries and the gas prices had gone through the roof. And I remember filling up in Arizona going, way to go, Porter. You literally picked the worst <laughs> weekend in history to drive across the country. Uh, so get there in August – in January or in December, I called in a favor with Bobby Slayton. Ooh. Uh, this is what happened at Hedberg's funeral. Lynn introduced me to Dave Becky, and Dave, 
you know, being a nice guy, said if you Long-time ever come out, three arts manager, if you ever move out to LA, mm-hmm. give me a call. So I moved out to LA, saw Dave's number. Wasn't going to call, but then I was like, you're stupid if you don't. I mean, worst comes to worst, he doesn't call you back, but right. you have to make the call. So I called him. He called back and was like, yeah, well, I'll send somebody out. So they came out and saw me, and they were excited, and then they are like, let's see a full half hour. So I called Slayton, who I'd opened for a couple times, and uh, I knew kind of liked – he liked me as much, Slate, as much as Slayton likes anybody. <laughs> And I, I just, I go, hey man, I hate to ask you this, but mm-hmm. is there any way I could feature for you in Irvine, whatever dates? And he's like, yeah, no problem, I'll, I'll make it happen. I was like, oh, awesome. And so Three Arts came out, signed me, and then they, so then Last Comic Standing was starting up again. It had already been canceled once, right? So they called me and they're like, we want you to audition for Last Comic Standing. Right, and- your season was part of the first reboot. I guess. Yeah, it was the first reboot. The first reboot. So, because season three had gotten canceled. Season in the three was the All Stars. Yes. Competition. Then they canceled it before the finale. And yeah, and Jerry Moore had to like announce on the radio that yeah. Alonzo had won. <laughs> uh, so, but then they come back. So they come back, and everyone's a little skeptical. Like everyone's like, "What? What is this going to be?" Yeah. But also, everyone wants to be famous. So they go, "We want you to drive to Tempe because the LA audition's going to be just jacked with yeah. names." So I think that was February. Mm-hmm. So I'd been out there eight months. I drive to Tempe. I won the night, and so I and I got the envelope. And uh, yeah, so and then we shot in April. So within eight months of me moving out there, I was shooting stuff and on this. Yeah, it was and great. You're on TV all that summer, but it, yeah, and it was amazing. But it also kind of fucked up my perspective. Where I was like, oh, this is easy. Like, <laughs> you just come out here and you just try. And you just get it. And then If you're, if you're talented, they'll see you. They'll, they'll see you. They'll it's get just, it. I don't know what the fuck you all are doing, but this has been super. It's a meritocracy. It's- <laughs> <laughs> and then the last fucking 15 years have been proof that, no, that's not right. Have they, have they figured out the touring part of that for your year? Or was that the year after you? I that the they best year for that. Because our tour was mm-hmm. put on – our tour is the reason NBC did the rest of the tours uh-huh. because they, they weren't doing the tour yet and then – So this was what? Barry Katz's tour? It Who was our tour? agents. It was APA's tour basically. Okay. And, uh, and it was like – it was called like the Legends of Stand Up <laughs> or something with the – like because you couldn't say the show's name. Oh, right. Because it wasn't officially. Yeah. So it was but, – but we made a shit ton of money and – how long did that tour go? Four or five months. The okay. the big like touring like clubs and theaters. And who were you on tour with? Uh, it varied mainly Josh and Ty, and then like they then there were like a couple theaters where it would just be me and Josh, and a couple theaters where it was just Ty and Josh. And but they had to have Josh because Josh was the winner. Josh was the winner, but then like Ty and I would co-headline like club dates. Okay, and uh, and then they. would then they booked me and Roz a couple times, so that that was just a weird booking. Uh, Weirder than Doug Sano playing the Def Jam, for, for sure. <laughs> for, like it's the exact opposite of that, actually. <laughs> um, so, and that, and I remember going to season five to do the roast, and Pete Angle cornering me, and he goes, "If I would have known how much money you guys were going to make, I would have put the tour on." And then the next year, they did their tour, and they got paid. Not even half of what we were getting paid. Wow. 
and um, and they had to like be on a bus, oh. and and no one got it. Like our season got along because we everyone kind of understood what it was. It's like we can't play defense, so <laughs> let's just hope we all go out and have a good time and let the chips fall where they may. Also, by the first live episode, everyone knew Josh was going to win. Like it was just so. When they would announce us to bring us out at the beginning, mm-hmm. it was like Chris Porter and like the earth would shake and bras, the earth would shake. And then Josh, you would think the fucking ceiling was going to collapse. It was just. Huh. So we were all having a good time yeah. and we were all playing for second and we all knew it and we were all fine with it because like we were all we had all, like the offers were starting to roll in. So we all knew like life had changed. And then how quickly after that tour did life go back about 18 months about the first season like as soon as the first season the next season starts like you kind of think oh this will be a revamp because it'll like start it starts to die off a little bit Mm -hmm. and that's really just a nail in the coffin you start to realize that especially with last comic standing they're not real fans of you they're fans of the show so when they come out and see you it's like they're going to see sesame street live you know, like right, I want you're a costume character for sure. And so when when it's just you without the name behind it, like they don't, it doesn't register. And I even today, like I get a thousand percent more people come up to me and I'm like, I saw you on last comic or uh, on Ugly and Angry than than are like, oh, I remember you from last right. comic standing. But that's the thing about Netflix is that the people could just watch it whenever, whereas. Last comic, if you weren't watching that year, you probably yeah, if, and it's gone. If people now. hadn't watched that year, they wouldn't know who you were and at that, all. Yeah, and there's not like they put that show on DVD or anything <laughs> for good reason. I'm sorry for laughing. No, I mean, <laughs> who would buy that shit? My parents wouldn't even buy that shit. <laughs> How did you when that when that the the glow of TV when that when that faded and went away? How did you deal with that psychologically? Uh, I mean, it hurt for sure. I mean, I remember a year. I think it was own. I think it was eleven. Like the the funny bones. You know, every year you get like, there's like a day you get a, a lot of your offers, mm-hmm. and they called and they're like, "We're not offering him anything." Wow. And so it's weird. You know, it, it's like definitely a kick of the balls when you're in Asheville, North Carolina, at a concert, and your agent calls and is like, "It's gonna be a rough year." Right, because aren't aren't you predisposed or accustomed to thinking, well, if I sell tickets and people buy booze and food at my show, then I should be good to come back. Yeah, but people at least once tickets a year is the problem. Oh. It's like that by that time the show was gone mm-hmm. and had been gone for a little bit, and I hadn't put anything else out. Like I did a I did a Comedy Central presents thinking right. that was gonna do as well as Last Comic Standing did for me, and fuck, no one gave a shit. Also, I w- I'm talking way too fast on my Comic Central Presents. I've drank way too much. I was sick. I just started drinking coffee. Uh-huh. And so I remember I woke up the day of, felt mm. terrible, slammed a triple latte, felt fine, and then right before the show, started to feel sick again. So not knowing really how lattes work, I got another triple latte. <laughs> and then I get on stage and I'm just sweating, just profusely. But I'm like, I'll get through it. Right. On my teleprompter, I had six words, my set list, <laughs> right. that were static. They just sat there. Right. All of a sudden, that shit went away and they typed towel. 
And I'm like, and I look over, I'm like, yeah, I got it. And then that goes away and it says, sweaty, use the towel. And I, and that's when I look down and I'm like, I'm already starting to like cause a set, sweat ring. And I remember at the end of that, walking to my mark and saying goodnight. And they uh-huh. had stood up for everyone and they didn't stand up for me. And for years, I was like, those motherfuckers. And then I watched it probably four years ago. It came mm-hmm. on late at night. And I watched it, and I'm like, I am talking so fast. I pro- Most people probably think I'm coked out of my head for a good reason. You can't even like catch I'm, up with the punchlines. Wiping sweat. Um, Sounds like you didn't learn enough at comedy boot camp. Right. <laughs> Hey, I spoke at that. That's um, I know you did. I did. Well, we didn't know what it was, to be fair. Uh, Kyle called. I've had Kyle on the podcast as well. Kyle called us, mm-hmm. and I like Kyle. Uh, I, I, I especially liked him at the time. He was a teen. It's, you started at 19. He started even younger in Seattle when I was living there. Yeah, and he, he started like 16. And he was, I always thought he was super funny. Mm-hmm. And then he, he went off on that whole self-help thing, yeah. which is what it is. But And this was kind of the beginning of all that. So he called and he was like, I'm putting on this comedy boot camp. Would you, he's like, I'm having Brett come up. And Eliza, would you want to come up and speak to these folks? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And he paid us you know, a couple hundred bucks to come mm-hmm. up for the afternoon. And we all went up. We had a great time for like two days. We dealt with these guys. And it was just a comedy camp. And we thought that's all it was. Yeah. And then... I remember a couple weeks later, Ernst called me, and he was like, yo, bro, <laughs> you seen this video? I'm like, what video? He's like, uh, the, the, promotional the, video. the boot camp video. I'm like, yeah. no, why? He goes, uh, it's like a cult or something. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what it is, but it's not what I signed up to do. You need to get a hold of Kyle or I'm going to fuck him up. <laughs> I don't know if he said that, but it's yeah. something very similar to that. Yeah. And I was like, okay. So I get online, and it's already blown up. Like Jimmy yeah. Dore's already all over it. And I'm like – Fuck it. I was like, this is not what I signed up to do. Yeah, like, no. I was just doing a comedy camp, not I'm going to make you a headliner in three days or whatever. Yeah, no, I put it on my site, and then Todd Berry and Doug Stanhope both blasted it out yeah. to and people. It, they all made great points. <laughs> and so I remember calling Kyle and going, hey, man, um, most of us thought we were just putting on a comedy camp. We were, we're not out to change lives, mm-hmm. and nor, did, nor do we think we're doing that, and we would like you to – if that's the way you're going to go with it, you need to keep us in the video. That's right. fine. But keep us out of the promos. Right. And um, and so I, I remember he kind of toned down. Yeah, there was they, like a they second came out cut. with a second cut, yeah. But that first cut, you're, you were like, oh, shit. Uh, but yeah, I, that, was, that was definitely a weird thing where you were like, I kind of got bamboozled a little bit. Uh but I, you know, I don't think Kyle did it maliciously. No, I don't think so either. I, I just think he get. I know that Kyle gets super excited about things. No, I ha- I had him on the podcast when he was in town. He was performing at an off Broadway, doing his latest incarnation of his inspirational yeah speaking. And is career. it is it is that what it is? I mean, I haven't seen it. Is it inspirational and is yeah. it funny? It's a motivational. Does he do the magician thing. bit? Because that's my favorite. Uh, I didn't. I didn't watch the whole thing, but it's motivational speaking combined with stand-up comedy. Oh, okay, so it's, he's blended the two. Well, God bless things him. together. He, I'm sure he's making a fucking mint. What do you What do you think of generally, though, in terms of 
the idea of people taking classes for comedy for comedy um you know i think most of the stuff that you need to learn as far as structural things you can learn in a in like a 3 hour thing i don't think it's something that you need to go multiple times but i mean i think there's some worth in someone going up there and going hey here's how you get on stage take the mic out of the stand right. do this and maybe just kind of instruct them of the basics of stand-up comedy, but yeah, this this th- is a punchline. It's good to have them. Yeah, and these are extra words that you'll never fucking need. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's great. But these six-week intensive things are, is fucking overkill. I think you can come in to any club for. Did you ever take any classes? No, yeah. I I went and uh, again, I mean that stuff we did. Actually, let me back that up. There was a dude named Daniel Loomis, mm-hmm. and he later was known as Daniel Rock. Uh, white dude, because uh, I just wanted to say that because I said rock at the end of it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, was super funny, very, uh, very uh, improvisational, had a quick wit. But I remember him coming up and meeting me at the club during the afternoon and just kind of helping me. Go over stuff, and and taught he kind of taught me how to write a bit, and and how to be on stage a little bit, and uh, yeah. So I definitely have to thank him for that. I don't know what the fuck ever happened to that guy, but uh, yeah, he was he was also the same dude that called me, and he was like, I was working on a movie, and I may or may not have taking a fax machine I wasn't supposed to, so I need you to mail it back to these people. And I'm like, okay. So <laughs> Who accidentally takes a fax machine? Uh, a guy that's trying to cover shit up. <laughs> and then um, he was also the, him and my buddy, one of my, be- the guy that actually got me into stand-up comedy, him and Daniel Loomis moved out to LA. Mm-hmm. They were like the class, they were out there for three weeks. <laughs> And they like got an apartment with no electricity and had to like borrow electricity from their neighbors and yeah they were back three weeks later but it was uh, but yeah so he helped me so I didn't really take a class but I definitely had people that took time out of their day to like go hey don't do that and then the period between uh, when the when the gigs started getting dark until you did ugly and angry and saw that start to bring people back in. How did you get through that, not just psychologically, but also financially? Uh, The financial stuff is quicker. I I just, it was hard. You know, I had enough gigs to get me through the rent. And, you know, I I just made it work, Mm -hmm. like one way or the other. Uh, Some months were tough. Some months weren't as tough. Because you couldn't ask Justin Verlander for money yet. Right. We hadn't met yet. No. So that wasn't happening. And uh, yeah, I never really, you know, I never had to ask my parents for rent or anything, but I definitely had to borrow a couple hundred bucks here or there for whatever reason. And then psychologically, you know, there was definitely a moment where I thought about moving back to Kansas City and just figuring out what I was going to do. But then you realize, really, what did I was thirty something with no other employable skills. It was like, do you want to start all over with no college degree and 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 right? Because you started in nineteen. 
Yeah. So it's like, what am I going to – so it's kind of like, what are you going to do if you move back here? And I remember I remember it was like 4th of July or something, and, my, and especially on my mom's side, it's very Catholic. And so the priest was over, and someone was asking him something about a life issue, and he told this like beautiful story mm-hmm. and related it to their problem and, and was super great. And so I kind of got inspired. I was like, hey, man, obviously I'm not super religious anymore, but I do – you know, I've known him my whole life. I was like, can we just have a – can I just buy you a beer and ask you some things? And He was like, yeah. So we met up and I, and I told him. I was like, you know, things aren't going so well in L.A. Uh, you know, I've been trying really hard. It's what I love to do, but I'm definitely in a dark place. And his answers were so non-inspirational. It was just so <laughs> factual. It was just like, well, you got some money saved up? Yeah, I mean, yeah. He was like, yeah, then fuck it. Yeah, just come on back. I'm like, well, that's – what happened to yesterday (laughs) where we heard about Moses going through shit and fucking he tied it all together? Yeah. So – and I kind of took that as like, well, maybe I I need to get back. And also, I fucking love L.A. Like to – I wanted to live in L.A. since I was 14. Like I remember going out there when I was a kid and being Mm -hmm. like, why doesn't everyone live out here? It's 70 degrees all the time. Yeah, traffic sucks. But you can go to any fucking uh, landscape or climate you can in four hours. You you can literally ski and go to the beach within two hours of each other. And so I was like, I don't want to leave L.A. And then then I just kind of, you know, you you just – you're like, well, it can't always be good. And if it's – you know, and if it's – this is the bad times and it's still not terrible – you can make it through that. I can make it through. And I think it, by that time, I was starting to travel around with Chris Robinson. And so, like, there was definitely things going on that made life fun. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like Black Crows, Chris Robinson? Black Crows, yeah. I think I met him in 09. Mm-hmm. And by 11, I was rolling around with his band. Just If I had a weekend off, I would go meet them and just sleep in the back of the bus. And go to a bunch of concerts. That's and, one of the that's one of the things about comedy that uh, doesn't get addressed enough. The fact that you can end up having famous friends who yeah. aren't in comedy. You can be friends with rock stars and Cy Young Award winners and You know, Kid Rock found me on Netflix is and he's booked me on like three different things and we become friends and that's that's the weirdest shit ever. <laughs> Weirder than the weirder than the the beer pong story for sure. The Kid Rock stuff is like not safe for comedy. No, no, uh, it's fucking. First off, there's not a more genuine, nicer guy on the planet mm-hmm. than him than Bobby. He's like, you know, we do not agree politically, uh, but we don't talk about that shit when we hang out. He's very, you know, he's he's very Trumpy. He obviously hangs yeah. out with the man, uh, but when we hang out. We don't, really, you know, we talk about a million other things besides that, and um, but yeah, it's it is weird to like the the bedfellows that you make. Like Zach Myers from Shinedown reached out to me on Twitter and was like, "I'm a fan and I want to have lunch," <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay." So we met. I do lunch, yeah. And he's become one of my closest friends. Wow. And it was, and it's just because much closer than Mitch Mullaney. Much well, <laughs> Mitch took a turn there at the end. Uh, That's true. <laughs> So, <laughs> but, but Zach but yeah, actually wants you to call him. Actually, yeah, uh, obviously, and I only call Zach when I need something. I'm not just calling <laughs> and be like, "Hey, what's up, man? You doing good? All right, cool." 
How was your flat? <laughs> Mine sucks. Where were you this week? Oh, that's cool. Were you headlining? <laughs> Probably. Because you had a show and stuff. <laughs> I'm in Nyack. Yeah. I'm in a mall. It's going to be pretty sweet. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you've ever left work and gone straight to a GNC, but I can do that. <laughs> that's uh, just such a... I mean, that's... So, yeah, I just, you know, it, it was hard. Luckily, there was enough shit going on to where I wasn't super depressed about it. And, uh, you know, you just kind of hope the whole time you're just kind of hoping for the next big thing. And then when they offered me ugly and angry, I uh, I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to. And when it came out, I didn't know what to expect. And, you know, even yesterday when. A man from Kansas came out. I'm like, I, I still don't know what the fuck to expect anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I was, I was even, I was talking to Brad about this. Brad and I played, Brad Williams and I played golf yesterday. And I was just like, it's a weird, I was like, today's my least favorite day of the whole cycle. You feel you, some sort of pressured about. Definitely s- a lot of pressure. Sell, promote, promote, sell. Sell, promote. And it's also like, there's, you've done everything you can. So now it's just out there and you, you just hope for the best. And, and. <laughs> Like I said, I'm like, you work so hard on something, and then at the end of the day, you just hope it does better than a three-year-old Jim Gaffigan record. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, when you look at the iTunes, or you look at the Apple sales, yeah. Yeah. He's still Old up Jim there. Jim Gaffigan records yeah, are still like, selling. Man, I hope I, can, hope I can beat Hot Pocket, <laughs> at least for a day. Just give me a day. Yeah. You know, you, uh, you mentioned in the special how you, just like you do when you're with Kid Rock, you're not trying to convince anyone politically of yeah. anything. Um, although you do have very strong opinions on some things. I do. Like very much pizza so. And, pizza and pickles. <laughs> those are your, those yeah. are your religion and politics. I have, um, I have opinion. The only reason I keep it out of stand-up is because it's, it's so toxic anymore. Like, right. I feel like in the 90s, I used to watch political comics go up and they would dance on both sides of the aisle. Right. And they'd make fun of everybody. Like, if you watch Richard Jenny's stuff, like, he makes fun of liberals and or Democrats and Republicans, liberals and conservatives, mm-hmm. and it's very even keeled. And, you know. The, I, the idea of doing that in 2019 is. You'd have to be really good at it. And 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 the problem is they I doubt they'd even give you the, the, uh, the chance to go on the other side. As soon as you went one way, they'd be like, you motherfucker. Right. And you're like, no, 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 wait, wait. I'm going <laughs> to even it out. I'm going to even it out. Let's bring it back. Uh, and it's just like, and it, you know, I've watched some of my friends go into the Midwest and post a video of them fighting with a Trump supporter. I'm like, motherfucker, you're in St. Louis. What'd you expect? Like, you're not in Hermosa. Right. So if you go up there and you start trashing the man, yeah, they're going to be mad. And so I just – and even if it's funny, it's just – it's not – and no one has a sense of humor. It's like if you make fun of the man and the person voted for him, it's not funny. And and it didn't used to be that way. It used to be like, I no. voted for him, but that's funny. You, you got me. Yeah. I feel like even during the Clinton – Days people would be yeah if we voted for him but yeah we yeah know, we know he's, he's we, a weirdo we know he's slick Willie keep your dick in your pants here Bill <laughs> all right but thanks for the jobs um you also sound like a guy um who probably isn't a big fan of social media I wouldn't do it if I didn't have to yeah I I mean it's definitely something I do for the gig uh, I I took Instagram off my phone because it became a problem. 
just because I was like, I would literally pick up my phone, do your normal Instagram, mm-hmm. check in the suite, and then I'd set it down and be like, oh, fuck, what was I doing? And then go right back to Instagram. And it became a huge issue. So uh, I took it off my phone. So now I just take pictures. And then when I get back to the room, then you I airdrop them. everything to my iPad okay. and then upload it. So, And it also helps because I stopped posting a bunch of dumb shit. <laughs> like I used to just post a picture of me in the Admirals Club. And I'm like, here's me hanging out. And it was just because I felt like I needed to post something. And, uh, but yeah, if it weren't, I might do Twitter. Mm-hmm. I think if I, you know, just cause I like to say things, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be nearly as active as I am now if it weren't for that. Do you, do you also feel like you have to be on social media this week because the special came out? Uh, I felt like I've had to be on this the last couple weeks mm-hmm. where I've had to, you know, I had. The record company sent me all these memes and gifts oh. and stuff. So like you have to like post that shit. Yeah. And, and also fans it, like it. It's nice that they did that for you. For sure. So well, you I didn't mean, have to type memes or yeah. gifts. Well, they're trying to make their money back too, you know. Right. So <laughs> uh so they made yeah, they made all that stuff and so like I made sure to get it out there and mm-hmm. but I feel like this week I'm just mainly because I feel like you've heard my fans have heard from me every day for the last week about this record. So I'm like, it's out there. It's there. I'm posting all the thank you, all the good jobs or whatever. But it's like, I'm going to take a break for a second. Do you feel like you can at least take a break from not just the promotion, but from like worrying about how it's doing? Uh, as far as the special goes? Yeah. Yeah. Like, or is there I'm... part of like the insecurity behind any performer that you need to know that it's selling well or do you need to check to see where it is on the charts or I mean I'll check it cuz the audio comes out tomorrow mm-hmm. so I'll definitely I'll definitely check it um but I think that lasts about a day and I'm like you know you'd like to see it hit number 1 um just because just yeah just, well yeah cuz it's not I don't think it's that so you can hard have a screenshot to get to number it, 1 or... yeah for sure and uh, just just to be like, hey, I made a splash day right. of. Um, people are hope, you know, people are waiting for this. I guess is what it says. Um, but I mean, if it doesn't hit number one, will it affect the rest of my year? Not really. Yeah. I mean, it's just because the jokes are still the same jokes. The jokes are the Whether... same, and also it's like people are slow to get to it, and just like with ugly and angry, like it's not a, you know, I don't. It's not going to be at the top of iTunes. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not going to be a huge ad. There's not going to be uh it's not on Netflix. So it's like it's going to be a slow burn. And I'm and I'm comfortable with that. So um but yeah, I Also yeah, it, it but it make it does yesterday did make me feel anxious cuz you're just like I worked so hard on this and now it's out and now it's like there's no real you have no control. It's just we'll see how it goes. Yeah, so I guess the question is, are you okay with that? I, yeah, I mean, there's, <laughs> I have to be. Like, there's no, there's no other way. <laughs> well, we could lock the door and give you some private time if you need. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm okay. With, I mean, I'm okay with it just because that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, how how important is it then that you have a network of friends, famous or otherwise, that you can lean on and or or to go. Okay, I might feel bad about this, but I still have 
Kid Rock is a friend. Uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, I don't. And he can tell me that his last album did nothing or something, you know. I don't go to my friends go, for I'm professional still... shit. Like, I handle most of that shit internally. Okay. Uh, like, I'll go to my friends about personal shit all day, mm-hmm. but, like, I just, like, if my buddy came up to me and was like, I'm worried about my album, I'd tell him to go fuck himself. So, uh, I think, I think I, I would hear myself start to complain about it. I mean, like, you're being an idiot. So, uh, like it bother it does affect me, and I definitely think about it. But I don't, I don't, uh, I keep, I internalize it for the most part. It's just something that's going on in my brain. Um, but yeah, it's just obviously I'd love to for it to like turn on iTunes tomorrow, and it's number one with a bullet, and my everyone's like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> you know, you you hope for that that jewel moment. Where everyone just all of a sudden finds your record, uh, even though it's been on for two years. But uh, I'm real lucky to be doing what I'm doing. And, and the fact that people are coming to the shows, and I, I think this this album's just going to be another log on the fire. And that'll hopefully keep it burning for another few years till I can do the next one. Well, Chris, I look forward to seeing you in 2021 when this album, Man but- <laughs> from Kansas, becomes a viral sensation. <laughs> That'll be awesome. I hope I, I hope I still have time to come down here. <laughs> I hope you do too. Thanks, Chris. Anytime. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.